Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And the title of my message today is Breaking the Rules. Breaking the Rules. Um, when my uh, when our three kids were 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 really young, um, I'm talking. This is would have been like six seven years ago. Uh, There's a picture of them all sitting on a log um, out in the middle of nowhere. Look how tiny they are. Look how cute they are. What happened? I don't know. I mean, they got bigger. They're still cute. Um, in the way that awkward teenagers are, but they're adorable. I love them all. But at this stage, right, like they're super cute. And, um, you know, I, you know, as parents, uh, this is like where their, their brains are starting to come online. They can walk around, they can talk, they can sort of do things. And you're trying to sort of give them some autonomy, but you're also trying to teach them how to live in and operate in the world. And so this is the, the time in life when, with your kids where you're really laying on the, the rules of like, this is how life works. This is what we need you to do. This is how our family does things. These are the things that are okay and not okay. These are the things that are good and the things that are bad, that are right and that are wrong. And one of the things that we told our kids at this stage, uh, and probably a lot of your parents told your, your kids this at this stage, was like, listen, uh, here's the thing. People are going to come over to our house, and we know a lot of people, and so people come over our house, and here's the reality. Um, sometimes, like, you know, uh, one of us is not going to be around or we're not going to be here, and so if we're not standing right next to you, okay? If we're not in the room with you, you do not open the door for anyone, okay? Because we maybe don't know them, right? We want to be nice to everyone in this and that, but like not everybody in the world has great intentions. And so, you know, if somebody comes to the door, you come get one of us or you wait for one of us to come in the room and then you can open the door for whoever it is, right? And they were just like, got it, right? And, uh, and so this worked great, right? Like, because there are people, there are delivery people, there are people we don't know that come to the door, all sorts of stuff. It makes us feel safe, you know, as parents. And until the day that it backfired, right? And this was the day where uh, their grandparents who live uh, like several states away were coming for a visit. And they got in town a little bit early and drove to our house. And they were very excited to see our family and our kids they hadn't seen in a while and uh, came to our house. And I was still at work and Gretchen was upstairs, which at the time we were living in like this three-story condo. And so she's like way up the stairs, can't hear or see anything. And the kids are all downstairs and their grandparents get there a little bit early, which is like a little bit of a surprise. And they ring or they knock on the door and uh, the kids who are like real little, uh, and Tegan, they run to the door and they look out the door and they see their grandparents and they get so excited and they wave and the grandparents wave and they're like, we're so excited to see you. And they're like, Yay! And they're freaking out, right? Everyone's excited. And then, um, you know, grandma and grandpa are like, open the door. And they're like, no, <laughs> nope. And they're like, open the door. And they're like, no, nope, we can't. Nope. They're like, no, just turn. They're trying to mouth, like, turn the knob. And our kids are like, no, no. Because our kids are like, I know this. This is a trick. This is where my parents, like, told me to do something, and then they're testing me to see if I was paying attention, to see if I'm really going to follow through on their instructions. No, 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 no. I'm not going to fall for this one, 
right? If my parents aren't with me in the room, I open the door for no one. And that includes grandparents. My, my kids love their Mimi and Papa, okay? They love these people. They know they're safe people. They're good people. But to let them in would be breaking the rules. And this cannot be done. It cannot happen. And so finally, Gretchen does come downstairs and decide to let them in. Who knows how long they've been out there, right? Uh, long enough to where they're just sort of sitting down, like playing with their phones. You know what I mean? Like it just sort of hang out. My wife will infamously just walk off and do chores and leave her phone anywhere in the house. So she probably didn't have it on her at the time. And finally comes down and, and one of the kids is like, Mimi and Papa are here. And she's like, what? Yeah, they're coming today. Oh, wait, wait, what? And goes out and lets them in. By this time I get home and I got to tell you, the conversation that followed this whole exchange was awkward and confusing for everyone. <laughs> right? Because you know, we're, we're having this whole interaction of like, you know, they're like, why didn't you let us in? And they're like, mom and dad told us not to let you in. <laughs> and of course, their grandparents are like, mainly just looking at me, right? Because it's my in-laws. And you know, we've had, we've had some awkward moments together, okay? We've had some tension. So it wouldn't be far out for them to be like, you told them not to let us in? And I was like, yeah. I mean, not you specifically. I didn't hold up your picture and we're like, never, ever let these people in. Did you know they originally didn't even like me? I didn't go into all that, okay? I'm like, no, not you specifically. We just told them in general, don't let anyone in the house if we're not right there with you. And, and the kids are just like, like, yeah, and we did what you said. And I'm like, but you should have let your, your grandparents in, you know, because, you know, it, that's different. And they're very confused, the kids. And they're like, what? So we're not doing that rule anymore? And I'm like, no, no, no. We're, we're, we're doing the rule, okay? We're just, we're gonna make certain exceptions in certain situations for certain people. Now, this age of kids cannot understand what you're talking about. So they're just like, oh, so we'll just kind of, when we wanna do it, we'll do it, and when we don't wanna do it, we just won't do it, we'll just do whatever we want to. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I said, okay? And my wife is very organized, so she's like, we're going to print a list of pictures and names. If they're picture and their name, then you can let these people. And it's just like so convoluted, right? And it's like you're trying to like, like their minds aren't to the place where they can really understand what is happening right here. And here's the truth that you're trying to explain to them that they are not really able to grasp at this stage. That every good rule has circumstances in which it ought to be broken, at the same time, if it must be broken often for good reason, it's not a good rule. Now, this is like, uh, this is an elevated way of thinking. Now, the thing that you know if you're a parent is that it is, it is tough for uh, a four, five, and six-year-old to wrap their brain around this concept. And some of you are like, I can get that because I'm 48, and it's hard for me to wrap my brain around this concept that you're sharing with me even at this moment. Like most of us, we want to do the right thing. And this is the sort of the conundrum that this, this philosophy produces. Um, sometimes it's obvious what the right thing to do is, and sometimes it's not. Like if you're choosing between something that is clearly right and something that is clearly wrong, then you do the clearly right thing, and it's an easy decision to make. But life is full of moments where one right thing suddenly comes into conflict with another right thing. And to do one right thing would mean that you are not doing 
the other right thing. And to do that right thing would mean that you were flying in the face of the first right thing. So the question like sort of comes to the forefront, which of the right things is most right right now? Some of you that are, especially that are parents, are very nervous about this entire conversation. <laughs> and, and here's the thing that, that all parents know. When you first, like, tell a kid a rule, any rule, especially when they're little, you do not tell them this. You do not tell them that every good rule has circumstances in which it ought to be broken, right? You, you don't tell them this because their brain would explode, right? They just don't even have the capacity to really fully comprehend this. But eventually every kid grows up, right? Every kid goes through sort of the stages of development and they reach a place in which they, they are forced to face this conundrum. Uh, it's called maturity. And some of you are just like, my kid's in their 30s. When are they going to hit that stage? I don't, when does that happen? And, um, you know, we can talk afterwards. But like what I, what I think happens a lot, especially in very strict circles or a lot of times in strict religious circles, is that, you know, when, when certain people realize this tension, but they are told to ignore it, or they're not given or shown or trained how to address it, how to deal with it, they often become either overly legalistic or completely nihilistic. Because they see the nuance, but they're not allowed to see it, or they're forbidden to see it, or they're forbidden to interact with it. So what do these two things mean? right? Legalism essentially says that there is one right thing that everyone should do all the time, no matter what. Well, what about no? Well, wait, no. No, everyone should do the exact same thing at all times, no matter what. And if you don't do that thing, you have broken the rules. And depending on that, whatever that situation is, I don't want to hear it. I don't care about the reason. I don't care about the situation, the circumstances. And also, you're probably going to hell, right? This is legalism. Nihilism is another place that people will land, and it's on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Nihilism or nihilism, depending. My wife and I had a debate, like, how do you actually pronounce this? I've heard it both ways. And uh, I'm just going to go with nihilism. It's the potato of the potato-potato, I think, <laughs> debate of nihilism. And it essentially says nothing matters anyway. Everything's meaningless, so just do whatever you want. Right? Like all, all rules, thoughts, truth is all arbitrary, so just kind of do whatever you want. So one sort of parks people on this side of things, and one sort of parks people on this way, other side of things. And I think we've seen this in a lot of people that we know. Maybe we found ourselves in one or two of these camps, or maybe we find ourselves flip-flopping back and forth between these two things. We're like really rigid, and then we're just like, nothing matters. And then we're like, I got to get it back on track, which means I do everything this one right way, and I'm mean to everyone else who doesn't, right? Now, here's what I would tell you. Neither of these mental models are all that effective long-term. And I would argue that a refusal to wrestle with nuance renders rigid belief systems obsolete. And you already know this, right? Because we all know people uh, in our lives who walked away from faith because they had this really valid question of, okay, what about this? I get that most of the time, right, under most circumstances, that this is the right thing to do, usually. 
But what happens when that right thing comes into conflict with this right thing? Then which right thing is the most right right now? What do we do then? And what they're really asking in that moment is a very mature question to ask um, that, that people who are insecure about their belief system don't know how to answer. What they're asking is, teach me how to think. And when the response to the question of, or the request to teach me how to think is met with, don't think, just do. A lot of people are like, I'm out. Another way to say it would be, you know, when the religious confidently point to something gray and claim it's black and white, the result is good-hearted, intelligent people walk away from faith unnecessarily. And for some of you, you've seen the fallout of this. Your friends, family, neighbors, kids. And other people are just like, they're an idiot. That's why they've rejected faith, right? And sometimes you try and get me to talk to these people, and I'm like, actually, I think they're smarter than you in a lot of ways, you know? Um, I think they've walked away unnecessarily. And that, to me, is heartbreaking. It's sad. Because the reality of it is life is a series of complex situations. Like every day you are forced to make difficult choices. And not just between right and wrong, but between the good you can do and the good you can't. Between the good that you will do and the good that you decidedly won't do. Because the reality of it is you can't do everything. Of all the good things you can do, and there are a lot of them, you can't do all of the good things. And you're going to have to make some choices. And you know what that sounds like? It sounds really gray. Decision-making would be so much easier if the world, you saw the world at least in black and white, which is why so many people choose to. And a lot of it is a difficulty sort of rounding a corner of what I would consider to be um, moral, ethical, intellectual, and spiritual maturity. And it's really tough for people to do. It is difficult to transition from living according to a list of rules to a set of contextualized values. From living according to this is the rule for everyone all the time, no matter what, don't ever break it. And like, this is the value that the rule grew from. This is the value that this rule insulates. The value is what is most important. And sometimes in certain circumstances, this rule is not the best way to accomplish this value. That is tough to teach people. It's tough to wrap our heads around. And yet we cannot mature in life and in faith if we don't do so. Now, some of you are really uncomfortable with this whole conversation, and I get that. And if you are, you're not alone. Because here's the reality. When Jesus first started talking about these revolutionary concepts, um, do you know what all the religious people around him said about him? You're a heretic. You're a heretic. You have, you have lost your mind. You have gone insane. You are a problem. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to ruin everything. Let me, let me actually show you where this happens. This comes to a point in a very... Uh, in a very specific way. It's found in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. And this is sort of where all this comes to a head. 
It says, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. And so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. Now, they're allowed to do this. This isn't their field, but there is a Jewish law that states that anybody who has a field has to leave the corners of their field uh, for people who are poor or who, like these people, are nomads and don't have access to food, right, to be able to, like, glean or collect the, the extra on the edge of a field and eat it for free. So they're technically doing something that is allowed to do. They're not stealing. It says this in verse 2, but some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, look, your disciples are breaking the law. They're breaking the rules by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Now, to understand the argument here, you have to understand sort of the culture of these people, the context of what's going on. The Sabbath was a day each week that uh, ancient Jews weren't to work, but they were to devote themselves to rest and worship. And God actually gave them this value. And I would even argue this value, the heartbeat of this value is still essential in our lives, our practice today. But here's the thing that is always true. Uh, values have to be put into action in order to be effective, right? And so what these people do is they organize a bunch of rules around what this value ought to look like when it's lived out. And a few of these rules were that you are not supposed to walk more than a few steps. They actually counted their steps every Sabbath. That you were not to do any work, any manual labor on the Sabbath. That you were not to do any preparing of food on the Sabbath. Now, those of you that are super observant are like, wait a minute. All, like, these disciples are breaking all three of these laws all at the same time, right? They're walking through a field, more steps than they should probably take. They are, uh, they're working, doing manual labor to, right, like, pull the, 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 the tops of this and, like, separate it out and eat this wheat, and they are preparing food, right? So they're breaking three rules connected to this value that they're not supposed to. And... And so they're in the wrong. At least these Pharisees are believing that they are. And, and so they decide that they are going to, in this story, that um, they're going to break the heads off this wheat and eat. And they do it because they're starving, because they're nomads, because they likely probably haven't eaten in a few days. And so Jesus gives them the green light. Well, why does he do this? Because Jesus believes that almost every good rule has circumstances in which it ought to be broken. This isn't something that he would suggest that they always do, but something that he, he realizes that this situation necessitates that they do. And the Pharisees, who are notoriously very black and white thinkers, are just like, ah, they're breaking the rules. They're, they're, doing, they're not supposed to do that. You should never, ever break the rules at any time for any reason. And this is Jesus' response to that, which are always fun and sufficiently sarcastic. Matthew chapter 12, verse three says this. Jesus said, haven't you read the scriptures? In the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry. He went to the house of God and, and they broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. Now, I don't know if you're picking this up, but have you read is sarcasm. Because Jesus knows they know the reference. All these people do is sit around and read the Bible, okay? 
David also was one of the most well-known figures in Jewish history. So everybody knows who David is. And they know this story that David broke a law, a religious law that says the elements dedicated to God weren't to be touched or especially consumed by anyone except for the priests in the temple. And David's men weren't priests, but they were starving. And so they went to the temple, they ate the food. And here's the bizarre thing. According to the story, they were blessed because of it not cursed. Interesting. Jesus loves to really sort of drive his points home. And so he keeps talking. Verse five, he says this, and haven't you read, obviously he's like, I know they've read this. Haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? Like nobody is supposed to work on the Sabbath except the priests, because that's the day that they do most of their work. And so actually God has already made an exception to his own rule. In other words, almost every good rule has circumstances in which it ought to be broken. Jesus is also interestingly implying that he and his disciples, the work that they're doing is priestly work, which is interesting too. And all of this, right, so far in the story, brings up a very important question, maybe the question. Who gets to decide when to break a good rule? Who gets to? This is the one question all the parents are wondering. Yeah, yeah, who gets to? And especially the kids next to them. Yeah, 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 who, who gets to? Matthew chapter 12, verse six says this. This is Jesus talking again. He says, I tell you, there is one here who's even greater than the temple. Cryptic, interesting. But you would have not condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, let me just break down exactly what he's saying here in like common American English, right? Jesus is saying that he has more divine authority than the temple, the priests, and every religious rule that goes with it. That's a big claim. Then he goes on to say that none of the people he's talking to understand their own Bible, which is hilarious because all they do is study their own Bible. And then he claims that he, because of his defined authority, uh, gets the last word on which right is most right right now. And then, to just put an exclamation point on it, he does this. Verse 9 of the same passage. It says, Then Jesus went over to their synagogue, like their church building, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand, and the Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. They were hoping they could catch him breaking the law so they could persecute him, lock him up, put him to death. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. And the man did, and the hand was restored. Whew. As Jesus often did, right, he, he answers their question with a question, a question that is like follows a story. What about this question? And he's like, let me tell you a little story. Say so you have a sheep. And they're like, where's this going? Was this a Pastor Adam sermon? 
We're not going to find out till the end. And they, they sort of like, like he pushes back with this thing and he implies through the story and the question that the people he's talking to care more about their own property than they do other people. He's telling them like, you already make your own exceptions, but you do it for selfish reasons, not for selfless reasons. And then he does something that's really helpful for all of us. He gives them a filter through which to determine what to do when one right thing is in conflict with another. And if you want to know what it is, you're going to have to come back next week. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I'm just kidding. This is what it is. Jesus insisted being right should never stand in the way of doing good. Being right should never stand in the way of doing good. And here's how offensive this would have landed in the room where he said it, because these people would have heard, if you think your religion is preventing you from doing good, it's in the way. But you are not concerned with doing good. You just want to avoid anything that could be considered by other people as wrong. But the point is, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing good. The point is not avoiding all wrong. The point is to do as much good as you possibly can. And Jesus is making it clear that if ever these two things are in conflict, the right and the good, choose the good. And then, because Jesus always practiced what he preached, he broke another rule by healing a man in a church in front of the religious people whose job it is to enforce the rules. Whoo! You cannot tell me that Jesus is not a revolutionary. Here's my thought. And, uh, and also, boom! Goodness magic trick. Just saying, right? This is the first century, just saying. And I, when I read this, I think, you know, this story is a, a great example of how some people can't handle being right because they see truth as a weapon to beat people with instead of a tool to serve people with. And here's what what I think about in terms of my life because when you hear this, you're just like, oh, I know these people. Here's the better question. Have you ever been one of these people? Are you one of these people right now? Maybe not overall, but in certain situations in your life. Can you handle being right? But I am. I get it. Can you handle it, though? Are you using it as a weapon to beat people with or a tool to serve people with? Because this determines whether or not you can handle it. One New Testament writer says it this way. One of the foremost theologians in the New Testament. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one who correctly handles the word of truth. Interesting. Because you know what the implication is? You can mishandle the truth. You can mishandle a word of truth. Because knowing what's true should motivate us to do what's good. And if it doesn't, you might be mishandling the truth. And 
And here's the, here's the difference. Like if I had to, to, to sort of sum it up, being right is about reinforcing your pride, but doing good is about humbling yourself to meet their needs. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question of motivation. It's also a question of accomplishment. Why do you want to do it? or talk about it, or express it this way? And what is it actually doing in the lives of the people around you? And in fact, the same author tells us that we should constantly be on the lookout for opportunities to do good. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. And I think this brings up the question, like, where should we look? Cool, I want to do good. Where should we look for opportunities to do good right in front of us. Because here's, in terms of the way Jesus taught and the way Jesus lived, here's what it seems as if he believes. That you should do the good you can do right in front of you. You should do the good you can do right in front of you. There's a lot of good that can be done in the world. You are not capable of doing it all. And of all the good things that you're capable of doing, you can't, you can't even do all of those things at the same time. And Jesus is saying, you, what you should do is the good that you can do that's right in front of you. And for many of us, that's the only good we don't want to do. I want to do the good in front of me. I'll tell you what I will do. I will go on a mission trip, and I'll build a water well. Um, you know, in a third world country, I'll do it. It's like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Why don't you um, like get up early and just like go and like serve the people that go to your church in your own community? No, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that thing. Right. You know, I don't want to do, no. I mean, you could, you could, you could give like to your local church to empower them to reach the, I don't, I don't want to I don't want to do that thing. I don't want to, you know, I'll do something big and far away. What about just maybe just like treating the family members in, in your family like with kindness, even though they frustrate and offend and deeply, I'm definitely not going to do that one. I'm not going to do that one at all. <laughs> you know, I, w- I will treat everybody else's family with the utmost kindness and respect. But my family... I mean, you know what you did. You deserve nothing. May God have mercy on your soul. But here's the thing. Even if you decide to do this, everything is not going to be easy in your life. Doing good is not easy, which is why a lot of us don't do it. And and I'll warn you, when you choose to spend your life doing good, you will eventually find yourself in conflict with those who are certain they're always right. When the good that you do or are called to do falls outside of the one right way they think everyone is supposed to do everything. In this story that we read today in Matthew, right after this this little scene, right after Jesus insisted being right should never stand in the way of doing good, and then he does something good, and the very next sentence is this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Doesn't it seem like a little bit absurd when you're reading like a, a, a story from the ancient world that was written a long time ago? You're like, come on, that's crazy. They would want to kill Jesus because he's doing good. 
and that conflicts with what they think is always right? Yeah, we see it in our own culture today that people are willing to actually fight and kill each other for insisting we do certain good that they feel just isn't right. This has always been the case. And if you commit to this, it'll happen to you too. I think oftentimes this is what stops us. Not like death threats, you know. Hopefully you're not getting those. But, you know, the, the thing that's true about all this, we don't want to be shamed for doing good by those who are convinced they're always right. And it's tough to push past that and decidedly do good anyway. Because there's a social cost to doing certain acts of good in ways that treat people well that the people that know and love you think are wrong. Like, let me just give you some real examples. Like, I, I know that that person talks bad behind my back and spreads rumors. But because I believe no one should do that, I refuse to talk bad about them behind their back ever. And when you do, I shut it down. I want to be a part of that. I, I don't like every decision that my boss makes. And sometimes it infuriates me. It's frustrating. Why can't you just do this this way? Why can't you just see what is right? But I'm committed to do good here, to give my best, and to even serve the person that's making decisions that I don't care for to the best of my ability. I get that that person, catty corner for me, has a flag on their garage that says, F the person you voted for. <laughs> You've seen the flags. <laughs> and they exist for both sides, don't they? <laughs> and even though everybody in my neighborhood will see, I'm still gonna help them carry in their groceries, collect their mail when they're on vacation, and offer to help them with the project in their house. And notice, none of these examples involve you getting into an argument about who's right about what. And that is going to frustrate those in your life that think taking a stand always means getting in an argument. And this ultimately is what people are frustrated about. How? Okay, that's cool that you did that. Did you also tell them that they're wrong? Did you also tell them that they're stupid? Did you also tell them that they're off, that they don't know what they're talking about, that they're probably going to hell? You know, didn't get around to it. Uh, was too busy trying to serve them, love them, uh, show Jesus through my, through my actions. Um, you know, maybe the, the conversation will come up and, 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 and hopefully something will come up as we get to know each other. But I'm in a different stage right now because here's the reality. And, and I, this is what Jesus was saying that was so offensive to all the people he said it to at the time what's still offensive to us. No matter what the thing is, no matter who the issue is with, doing good for them is more powerful than telling them they're wrong. Doing good for them is more powerful than just telling them they're wrong. And I know you're thinking like, but how does that help people find the truth? You know, and sometimes I wonder the same thing myself, right? This is what makes this, this Jesus statement so powerful to me. Um, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. 
Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The implications of this verse are intense. Let's just back up. Let your what shine? Your clever arguments? Your irrefutable evidence? Your expertly worded post? Your flawless research? Let it shine! It's not what it says. Let your good deeds. In other words, do so much good in the lives of others that they can't help but want to know what's driving that in you. That they come around to wonder, why are you this way? Why are you so devoted to doing good? And you finally get to tell them it's because of your conviction that you are called to reflect the servant-hearted leadership of Jesus. Here's the implication of this. Here's what Jesus is getting at. That, that somehow just seeing you serve can cause people to praise God. That just seeing you serve can cause people to sort of wake up to who God is and how God operates and God's love for them. Even people who don't believe in God. And you've probably even seen this where you went above and beyond. You followed that prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something good in a moment that you didn't want to for maybe somebody that you didn't want to do it for. And there was something that came out of them. They were just like, ah, oh, they're an atheist. They're like, thank God. Oh, thank God for you. Thank God you did this. Oh man, this is just a heaven send, right? Interesting. I think a lot of us have underestimated the power of doing good. And so what are you to do? And I think this is a helpful question just to take with you into the rest of the week, month, year. To start by asking yourself this. What good can I do right here with what I've got right now? What good can I do right here with what I've got right now? Not somewhere else, not later, not if and when you get this and achieve this and this happens. Not if the people that you're thinking about doing good for get it together. What can I do? What good can I do right here with the good I've got right now? And I just wonder, like, what if you asked yourself this question in the middle of every situation and circumstance you found yourself in? You're frustrated, you're upset, you want to force feed everyone while you think you're right. What if instead of asking yourself, how can I... Uh, show them how right that I am? What if instead you asked yourself, what could can I do right here with what I've got right now? What if instead of asking like, what is, what is gonna feel good for me? You asked, what good can I do right here with what I've got right now? This question that's attached to the values of Jesus is a game changer. What if you determined to aim your words and your time and your energy and your money and your attitude and your attentiveness at doing good? I wonder what God will do with the good that he's calling you to do. I guarantee it is something bigger, broader and bolder than anything you could ever imagine. So don't let your passion for being right prevent you from doing good. When you find your soul at war between insisting you're right and doing what is good, choose the good. 
And this is what I wanna pray into your life today, that God would enable you through his Holy Spirit to see these situations and make a decision that is consistent with Christ. Would you bow your heads across this room as we pray together today? God, I, I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and, and your truth. I, I'm grateful that um, you actually lead us to know and understand what is right. And yet you want us to leverage stepping into what's right and standing in the truth, not as a weapon to beat people down with, but as a, a tool to serve the people around us with. And I pray that we would be those people, your people, your followers, who understand the heart, the value that comes from you, that inspired all of the religious rules that sort of get placed around your truth to insulate it. A lot of these things are good things, good rules. Help us to know when it's wise to break them. Not for selfish gain, not to do what we want, but to follow you further and to do what is good. Make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.